What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am your host, Ryan McNichols, joined by my co-host, Rich Houck, and our producer, Mike Coyle. We are talking everything Dynasty and season-long fantasy football. We dig through all the numbers so that you don't have to. What's up, everybody? Thanks for joining us today. I am Ryan McNichols here, host of the Fantasy Oddballs Football Podcast. I am joined by my co-host, Rich Houck. Hey, what's up, everybody? No Mike Coyle at the moment. little different schedule today, so it's just going to be the two of us. We're going to try to keep things in line and not go too long. And yeah, Mike's golfing. Yeah, Mike's out golfing and enjoying the, the nice weather. But uh, with the draft coming up, we had quite a bit of content regarding that that we wanted to get out there to everybody. So instead of you know dropping any content or anything we decided we're just going to record when we can and get this out there so what we're going over today is the top rookies at each skill position in this upcoming rookie class or essentially the people who are considered the top players at that position for this upcoming rookie class so we're going to go through running back wide receiver and tight end and we're going to go through kind of you know what the general thoughts and scouting reports are on the guys out there and then go through what we saw through on tape and talk about just kind of what we think they're going to do at the NFL and what you can expect from them in fantasy, especially, you know, there's some teams that, I know there are some leagues that might do a rookie draft prior to the players actually being drafted and just kind of take a guess on those guys yeah, in like a, in a vacuum. So if you do that, sorry, we're a little late to help you on that one. If you do it, you know, a week before the draft, for whatever reason, instead of just waiting until after it, this might help you out, but... And if you're one of the most people who like to wait until after you see where these guys land in this league, this will help you out, give you kind of an idea of, again, what these guys are in a vacuum, and then kind of amplify that based off where they land and the draft capital that they get. So let's start off then with the guy at the top of this list, the guy who's probably 101 in most dynasty leagues. Anyone that essentially that's not a super flex or two-quarterback league, I imagine this guy will be the 101 pick. and that Should is, be. And that player is Bijan Robinson out of Texas. Let's just start off with the basics here. So Bijan Robinson, he's got the he's got the height, he's got the weight, came in, you know, at seventy one inches, so just under, you know, six foot there, two hundred and fifteen pounds, ran a four four six. Good testing as far as the vert and broad jump goes. He's your prototypical size, three down back sort of player. What did you think, kind of, you know, pros and cons of Bijan Robinson overall? So let's start with the, I guess, start with the pros. Start overall. with the pros. I went through and I was reading various uh, scouting reports uh, from different spaces and um, kind of came up with a consensus. Um, pros wise, um, we're looking at, like you mentioned, he's a three down back. He profiles um, as being able to handle a workload, full workload. He can catch passes out of the backfield, he can run routes. Um, he looks like that true three-down guy, that workhorse back. Um, he's got great footwork. Um, he utilizes the jump cut very well. Um, he's got good vision. Um, he's got great contact balance. He's got great strength to uh, break through arm tackles. I mean, it's all on tape. You can see it. Um, dude's a beast. Yep. So, like you said, that's pretty much... The pros, you know, if you're just kind of looking at the general scouting reports, is the pros and cons you're going to get. Went through and watched it, obviously, ourselves, scouting the tape, seeing what we're seeing out there. So, I mean, basically what I saw when I'm going through is, and this is part of what mixed me up a little bit earlier, is I watched 
I watched them against Alabama, Oklahoma, and Iowa State. So the first thing is when you watch them against Alabama, you saw everything. Mm-hmm. Like literally everything you would want to see out of a running back you saw. You saw the vision, you saw the strength, you saw him make moves, he, you know, he's got he's stiff arms, he cuts, he spins, hurdles, he, just anything you want to see out of running back if you want to see it, just watch B. John Robinson against Alabama this past season. Against Oklahoma, same thing where you watch it and it's just more of him just kind of bullying people. So that's one of the things I want to mention that wasn't really listed there. We know we keep saying that he's got the size. He do, he rarely goes down on first contact. No. He's not a guy where like this is you know you're gonna you know if you just run into him and hit him you're gonna knock him down. You're probably gonna you're gonna need if you want to tackle him solo you're gonna need to wrap him up around his waist mm-hmm. and drag him down. And you're probably gonna need help doing it. So just. Again, what I noticed, again, doesn't really ever go uh, down. He's got great patience. He's a physical runner and a blocker. He gets in there, and he really puts a lick on people when he's blocking, especially compared to what you see from some Mm -hmm. other running backs out there. And there's really not much to say. I mean, he's he should be the like we said the 101 in in any dynasty format. That's not two QB. He's NFL ready. You're gonna get you know. you know, the way running backs with his age and all that go, because he is a young running back as well, he's probably got six, seven years in his prime. Assume that maybe he'll miss one and a half due to injuries. So you're looking at five to six years of a dominant running back performance, essentially, out of B. John Robinson when he gets drafted. The downsides to B. John Robinson, uh, he does not have a twin brother who also plays the running back position. So how dare you, B. John? <laughs> Took a minute there for that to register. Yeah, I'm like, uh, what? Okay, yeah. <laughs> he does not have a twin brother, so he is the only running back essentially like this in this class. Maybe. Uh, of this level, anyway. Uh, no, legitimately, the thing you have to worry about is he did have a couple injuries in, during his time as a running back. He had injuries to you know back, elbow, shoulder, in, uh, and his neck. Nothing too serious that kept him out for any like extended period of time, but just... You're nitpicking at this point, trying to find something with Bijan. He runs a little high occasionally, but he's still got plenty of strength and power, and he's got the size where he can sort of get away with running a little high or not necessarily low on your shoulders. So, not much else really to say about that. You know, again, 101 and anything that's not Dynasty or Superflex, and in Dynasty and Superflex, I don't know how many quarterbacks from this class would you take before you take Bijan Robinson if this is a Superflex? Um,. Potentially, you can make an argument for three. Levis, or no, I'm sorry, no. not, not Levis is the one that's out. Stroud, Bryce Young, and Anthony Richardson because of the upside, I imagine, yeah, right? You can make Stroud an argument Stroud and Young for because three. they should immediate, immediately step into a role where yeah. they should be. You know, it's all dependent on team need also. Like, if you're sitting in a super flex league, you probably want to take the quarterback most times. It, you know, if you're set, though, you know, you know. Maybe you do go Bijan. Because yeah, it's also one of those things where how often is a rookie quarterback fantasy relevant in their first season right away? They're going, depending on which team they go yeah, to, you know, like if you're in one it. of these guys is going to the Houston Texans, who at the moment I wouldn't have a look at and have a ton of confidence in them lighting up the scoreboard. Yeah, but it's, it's Dynasty, so, you know, you're in it for the long haul. Right. You know, it, for every, you know, Justin Herbert that comes in and, and lights it up year one, sometimes you might get a Mahomes who sits year one and then comes in and balls. So, like, you're playing for the long haul with could, the, with the quarterback. It could be one of those yeah. things where after, you know, like, if 
whoever goes to the Panthers first, you know, is the is already off the board. Like if Stroud goes to the Panthers and then he's off the board and looking at Bryce Young or the Texans and or some and then somebody decides, well, I'm going to take the risk on the upside of what Anthony Richardson can be, and then you're looking at like. Do I want Bryce Young on the Texans or do I want B. John Robinson? That's a spot where I could maybe convince myself to take B. John Robinson even in a two-quarterback league because there's no guarantee. Like you said, with first-round quarterbacks, there's just mm-hmm. no guarantee that they're even going to work out like that. I feel like there's a much safer chance that B. John Robinson's going to work out mm-hmm. than there is I agree. these quarterbacks going to these mm-hmm. teams. It it's there could be an argument to be made. I'm not saying right. it should be done, but there's an argument to be had. In but again, we're just putting it out there, too, to kind of give you an idea of, like, yeah, he's if in, in a two-quarterback league, he's 104, essentially, at the latest. Even I'm, maybe 102. Yeah. You know? But I'm saying 104 is essentially the latest that I think Abs- you would go. Absolutely. Not, there's, no, there's not four quarterbacks. You're t- I, wouldn't, I don't care where Hendon Hooker goes or where Will Levis goes. I'm not going to take... One of those guys, I think, over top of him. I mean, Will Levis would really have to go to, you know, a good team if we want that to happen. Like, he would have to end up being the one pick going to Carolina where he's already got some receivers and so, running back for me to consider taking him before I would take Bijan. I know this is a little off topic, but just for argument's sake here, Will Levis ends up in Tampa Bay with all the weapons. That's something to think about. <laughs> That's where you're thinking about it. Yeah, it's possible, too. If he falls, they're right there. I also think Tampa Bay is a possible landing spot for Bijan because they have Baker Mayfield, and that's an open division. They could bring in Bijan Robinson and hope to use him to help keep them competitive in that division until they get a quarterback. Good see it. But that's enough on Bijan Robinson. Yeah, you don't need to spend too much time. That's a clear-cut top prospect. You should know where to be taken. All right, so the next guy we're going to talk about is Jameer Gibbs out of Alabama. He comes in, he's under six foot, he's only six, he came in at just a little over 69 inches, so that's, why am I drawing blank on the math in my head, I'm so, I do this. Is he 5'9"? Yeah, 5'9", thank you, yes. A little over 5'9"? A little over 5'9". Only 199 pounds is more of the... That's the more concern than the, than the height. So, I, I was listening to another sh- uh, another show earlier in the week. And they talked about running back, the top 20 running back finishers from last season. And there were three players on that list who weighed less than 210 pounds. It was Austin Eckler, Christian McCaffrey, and I forget who the uh, other player was. But those were the three players. There was only three players essentially underneath 210 pounds of the running backs. Position. It was Aaron Jones, who was, in fact, Aaron Jones. Those were the three players to finish inside the top 20 at under 210 pounds last season. So we got Jameer Gibbs coming in at 199, essentially 200 pounds, so even lighter than that. So for argument's sake, all three of those guys you named, they all catch passes. They do. And Gibbs has that profile, which Aaron we'll get Jones, into. not so much last year, but... No, yeah, not as much, but years prior. Yeah. yeah. But it, we, he fits that profile. We'll get into that. We're, we're going to dive right on into that. All right, I'll let you dive into that. Then. So as I was just pulling the uh, scouting reports again, um, looking at positives uh, for Gibbs, uh, kind of consensus-wise, in his speed and acceleration, the dude is fast, man. He's, I mean, you see it with his 40 time. He ran 4.36 at the combine. But you see it on tape, too. Like He, he just runs by people. Like he, ma- he makes dudes look like they're running in, in quicksand. And these guys are, are four four guys themselves. Like, blows by them. 
He's very he's got light feet, very light and quick. His his cuts are unbelievable. He can get in and out of, of breaks when he's running routes and the way he makes people miss is, is unbelievable. His wiggle is, is next level. And like we mentioned earlier, his pass catching and his, his route running is is very good. He's got great hands, soft hands, and they use them in a variety of ways, running routes. They lined them up in a the slot, they run routes out of the backfield. Um he fits that profile of the other guys we mentioned. But, you know, with the positives, there were some negatives. Um, it's a bit indecisive when he's running. He's looking to kind of dance a little bit too much as opposed to hitting a hole. Um, obviously, with the size comes pass protection concerns. They showed up quite a bit. Um, along with the size, too, uh, contact power. It's not really driving through guys too much to get in that little extra yard or yard and a half. Um, he's kind of, he gets hit and he kind of goes down when he does. If, he's, if he doesn't make them miss, he's probably going down. But there's a lot to like. There is a lot to like. Yep, and so I went through, and like you said, I watched some tape here. I watched him against Arkansas, LSU, and Tennessee this past year. And so what I saw just overall watching him, it's not just that he's fast. It's, it's sort of everything, every way he, you can move, he's fast and quick about it. So his lateral movement, his cuts... His start-stop when you do the stutter step and then have to pick it back up. It's, everything he does is fast. It's quick mm-hmm. titch, quick twitch. He's got great agility. You say he's a plus in the pass game. You watch him against Tennessee. That's where you really see he's got a lot of smooth cuts in that one where he just like, just so easily glides back and forth with the way he shifts his body. He's got real good you know, con- uh, body control. Gets the LSU game, you really see his uh, receiving skills show up. And then when he was playing against Arkansas, I felt like he was solid in that game. It wasn't necessarily outstanding. I felt the other two games were a little bit better. But here's my concern is, like you said, the size. And I'm just watching, and it's, like you said, he, he's not going to drive many piles. And I, I don't see him breaking many tackles when I watch the film. It's and all about making people miss. If you're not breaking the tackles at the college level, I don't know that you can do it at the NFL level. And even again, even the guys we talked about before with Eckler and McCaffrey and all that. So you know, McCaffrey's two oh seven, so he's just kind of under that two ten pound. And Eckler is, I think, two oh four, two oh five, something like that. But look at Eckler; he doesn't get a whole lot of carries. He's usually mm-hmm. a lot of receiving work yep. and all that. And that's what makes him succeed like that. Chris McCaffrey has a good balance of both with a lot of receiving work, but again, a little bit bigger. And then Aaron Jones, again, heavy on the receiving, but not not never really been. I think he had like maybe one or two, one maybe two seasons as like a top five, top seven running back. But then he's always kind of hovered around mm-hmm. twelve or so. The problem is, I see, I see his realistic role being something like what DeAndre Swift's role was behind Jamal Williams last year is what concerns me. Because he's, you know, even a smaller guy than DeAndre Swift and all that. I, I get concerned that the rushing part of the game gets taken away from him and he's strictly a pass catcher yeah, at the next level. And, you know, maybe occasionally put him out there for some runs to get some big plays. But, like, that's... That's my concern is you're looking at like eight rushing attempts a game maybe from him, eight, you know, six to eight with then a couple targets and you're really just kind of leaning on the receiving game. Again, it was just, uh, the size concerns me. I can't, I, I don't know that he'll be an RB1 at any point fantasy-wise during his NFL career is, is my main concern because he would need to have both the rushing and the receiving mm-hmm. 
That's and fair. if he's a liability in the pass protection because of his size, and is he going to hold like? And is he going to hold up? It's just there's a lot of questions about it that just make me concerned at the next level of the game. Like, it, it, based purely off talent, if everything else was in a vacuum, you know, he's a top guy. He's mm-hmm. up in close to the same tier as Bijan Robinson. Close, but not not quite. Not quite. But the problem is he's. It's not a vacuum, and the size and everything does matter, and it does limit his ability. It limits what he can actually do and what his role can be at the next level. So I'm I look at him more closer to a you know a pass catching back, a third down back, if you will, as opposed to somebody who can be an RB one for a team out there. I think that's his more likely outcome. That's fair. So is that safe to say he's not your RB two in this class? He is not my RB two in this okay. class. Okay. My RB2 in this class is this next guy we're going to talk about. That is Zach Charbonnet from the UCLA Bruins. So, I'll let you go through kind of what the scouting report, or did you want to go through what you saw on the tape on this one? Is this a guy or are you? Um, this is a guy. I've, I've watched him a bit. So, I mean, I could talk about a bit of tape. But he's a guy that I, I watched a bit during the regular season. I found okay. myself betting on or against UCLA. Um, a handful of times this year, and um, I happen to see quite a bit of Charbonnet, a fan of his. Like you said, he's at a UCLA uh, transfer over from Michigan um, a couple years before that. Um, when you watch, he flashes on tape, doesn't he? Yeah, <laughs> doesn't he? I I watched his tape, and this is one of the things, dude. I went through, and I, like I'm telling you, for all these other guys, I watched three games, you know, right? I go to Charbonnet. I, I I went through. I think I watched six different games of his because there was something where I was like, I'm I must be missing something because nobody is talking about him the way I feel like he needs to be talked about. What are we? Am I missing something? Is there some huge deficiency in his game that I am not seeing? Now, the one thing I will say, for argument's sake, not that I agree with it, but people may tell you that that's a very running back friendly scheme they got over there. Our, our old friend Chip Kelly. Uh, I don't, I don't care. Don't care. Don't care. Still don't care. I don't care. <laughs> like, uh, again, this is one of those things where, so I'm one of those guys who, in, for full transparency for everybody listening, like, I don't watch a whole lot of college football. So I don't go through the season. I'm not following these guys on the ride. Uh, you know, the emotional highs and lows of what they're doing in their production and all that. I go through and I watch the tape. I basically, once you know, once the uh, fantasy season is over, I start looking at, you know, all the players who are getting invited to the combine and getting talked about, and then I go through and I start looking at tape and watching tape about them and start, you know, with a lot of the guy, main guys that are being talked about and all that. So I don't look at the production. I don't have any emotional attachment to the season or all that. What I see is the tape. So I'm not swayed by any sort of, like, inflated production stats or anything like that. And I saw everything that I needed to see on the tape. I don't, there's not a thing that I didn't see, so that's that's what I just don't get. So like, I'm watching Utah, just like Bijan Robinson, he does not go down on first contact, and you're not bringing him down with one guy. He routinely runs through people and drags players with him, and there's always two to three guys tackling him. Like he just there, there's I I I don't know that 
during the any of the six games that I watched, that I ever saw one dude come in and straight up tackle him one on one, unless it was like you know an ankle tackle where like you know they got in and they managed to swipe his mm-hmm. foot out from under him. But like no dude just straight ran into him and brought him down by himself. Like the entire time I'm watching it, that really stood out during Utah. Watching him against Washington, that's where his you know he shows up in the receiving game. He catches with his hands. He makes moves when he's out there mm-hmm. and running routes like a receiver. Like he's actually doing things to try to move the defender. I mean, when he and when he's running too, I mean, I, I I put down there like the moves that he had because it's one of those things where again, it's just a, he's got the shoulder wiggle, he's got a stutter step, he's got a cut, he's got like, this other little uh weird, like jump step that he does in addition to the cut step where instead of cutting, he does this weird little jump step. Uh, he's always moving forward, and sometimes we talk about these guys that always fall forward. He's not falling forward; he is moving forward. When he's going, being tackled by two, three guys, he is still. He's not falling forward. He takes another two or three steps with these guys on him before he goes down. Like just always getting you positive yardage. I watched him. I mean, just. I watched him against Bowling Green. I just, I, it was one of the game where I put I wrote down I was like 110 percent effort from this guy. Mm-hmm. There was a play where his quarterback breaks off a big run, and you see him following down and running like, and he's block. not essentially even in the mm-hmm. part. No, he's behind the play at this point. He's not even blocking, but, but he's, he's trying still to run get down to get back into the play yeah, and exactly. try to, and, and he down wants and to get follows. up there to block. <laughs> I mean, just I. It's, oh yeah, I mean, so all the scouting reports I was looking at, man, they, they talk about a patient runner. I don't know if you saw that on the tape. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, we talked about his build already. He's powerful build, and he's got good long speed. Um, we talked about his ability to make defenders miss. He's uh, six for everyone, just for clarity. He's six foot, 214 pounds. So the same size, essentially, as B. John Robinson. Mm-hmm. A little bit taller, one pound lighter, but essentially the same size. Yep. And one thing we haven't, he, he steps to a blitzer, man. He's not afraid. He's not going to have problems with pass protection. No, he's, he, that's what he I say. will step to the to a, a blitzing linebacker, a blitzing corner. He'll step to a, a free running edge. He's don't have to worry about that part of his game. I wrote that down there too. Good pass blocker. Mm-hmm. You know how you get onto the field early if you're a running back. You're good in pass protection. That's mm-hmm. how you earn a three down roll on a team. So you're telling me the guy has the power and the size to run. He's got the pass protection skills, the pass catching skills. He's got the speed. He's got the burst. I like the critic. The critique I hear is that he's not elite in any category. I'm like not elite, but he's he's very above good. Above that, um, yeah. it's one of those things where yeah, he's not one or two in most of those categories, like the forty time or whatever, like that. But you put it up there, and if you like, you know, who's in the top five? He hits the top five in every category, and everybody else is in like one or two, aside from Bijan Robinson, who would obviously also be in the top five for every one of those categories. But then it's like, you know, Jameer Gibbs will be like, you know, he's got the he's got the speed, he's got some bursts, he doesn't have the size, he doesn't have the pass ca- uh, pass blocking, he doesn't have the pass catching, but it's like. He checks all the boxes for the thresholds you're looking for, and he's above them. And it's not just like a little bit above them. He he clears what you're looking for, and then some. So I, 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 I this is just just where like I feel like everyone's talking about Jameer Gibbs as the clear number two, and then there's a drop off, and then I hear people talking about you know Devin Achain and Tajay Spears. And I'm just like, there's got to be something that I am missing for Zach, like uh, some huge hole in what Zach Charbonnet can do. That people aren't talking about him as the number two running back in this league, and I, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is after watching. That's why I kept going through and watching game after game. I think I saw one fumble in in the games that I saw against uh, Stanford, but like that was it. And it's like that, uh, you know, if the uh, 
Yeah, I don't know if I'm willing to go RB two for me in this class, but he's definitely my RB three. Is Gibbs your RB two? I think. See, I I can't do it. I I, I look at the. I think. I mean, if he he's going to get the draft capital, I think he does. He's he's probably going to have to be my RB two. Who's Charbonnet or Gibbs? Gibbs. I I, Gibbs. I think Gibbs will be the second running back drafted. Um, I'm not sure Charbonnet gets the second round draft capital. I think he's a third round guy. Um, even though I, I I really really like him, I do. I just I, th- that's one of those things where I don't care. So the the difference between being so, the second and third round, if you're is, the third is or fourth ne- running is back, is n- negligible exactly for me. That's what. Again, and that goes back to you know I'm the guy who had you know Damian Pierce, and I was pushing back on the fact that he's going to be replaced. I was like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh yeah, well he was only taken. It's like right, but teams want that outcome. They want the running back they took in the third round to work out for them, so well, they don't have to invest anything. Well, third round's good. Third back. round, anything you start getting into like four is eh, yeah. five. Was and, a third or a fourth? He might have he, been I think a fourth. He, yeah, I think he was a fourth. fourth. But like fifth and later is where you start yeah. getting into that. Like That's why I'm a little, little hesitant on Pacheco. Coming at, like a little, he could be replaced. Little, right, yeah. but, and that's what I mean. So uh, pretty much for me, though, I, I, I think it's going to be Charbonnet. Like, I think it'll be Charbonnet. Char, no, Charbonnet is my two. I just, I can't, I, I don't, the draft capital doesn't concern me as much as I think you know, Gibbs is full. We've seen plenty of guys like this, you know, kind of go and get drafted team with the expect, expectation they'd be a number one, and it just doesn't work out because, like, you keep trying to overcome that size thing. I don't have that concern with Charbonnet. I don't, I don't have a concern with Charbonnet. Like, I don't have a concern with, you know what I mean? Like, that's what I mean. When I go through, it's like, I don't know what I'm looking It's like, okay, he doesn't have elite speed. He's got the speed, though. Like, he ran, uh, what's it called? He ran a good long speed. Yeah, ran a 4 five, three, mm-hmm. And, again, I like the, he does have moves that he makes on there. He's not as shifty or as quick when he's doing it as Jameer Gibbs, but he does make moves out there. And he has the power to overcompensate with not necessarily being able to, he doesn't need to dodge every guy. And guess what? At the NFL, you're not going to dodge every guy. You're going to get tackled on 99% of the plays that you're out there when you uh, when you touch the ball. You know, there's you're going to be a few plays where you manage to get out of bounds or into the end zone where you don't get tackled. But other than that, you're probably going to get tackled at some point. So uh, Charbonnet is my RB2. I know you've got Gibbs, and that seems I, to be the consensus out there. I, I may get there. I may get there eventually. I just feel he's got the three-down roll, and he'll have it right away and be effective from the start, whereas I don't know that I, I just feel like the floor is a lot safer and I feel the ceiling is higher than it is the you know the other way. Like Charbonnet could legitimately emerge as, you know, one of those three down running backs that's just always out there and getting, you know, fourteen, fifteen carries and four or five targets a game. Yeah. Targets, not catches, but like that, you know, getting t- uh, essentially twenty opportunities a game to touch the ball. And depending on the team he goes to, it would also affect it. So not only is he my number two running back, but in our dynasty league, he's probably going to be, I have the 102 pick in the dynasty draft. So obviously Bijan Robinson will be gone. This is not a super flex league. So Charbonnet is most likely going to be the 102 pick. Absent something insane happening. And like he would need to go to a really bad running back spot. And then, one of the two receivers who I have at the top would need to go to a really good location in order for me to move off of that. So that kind of seems, you know, plan you plan your moves accordingly. I know you're picking towards the end of that uh, first round there. Yeah, the last pick yeah, as the champion. So I don't know how much it affects you. I, I imagine you already assumed that Charbonnet was going to be going by the time it got to you. But, 
any plans to move up, just know that he will be gone at the 102 position most likely unless you land somewhere horrible. That's cool. Yeah. I may have to move. If he goes to New England, it's, you know, then he drops. I may have to move up to 103 to go after this next guy we're going to talk about here, the top uh, consensus number one wide receiver. All right. Jackson Smith and Jigba out of Ohio State. Man, there's a, a not a lot of a tape out there. He didn't play this past season. Um, he did play the year before that. Um, consensus scouting reports out there have him as an elite route runner. He's got great body control, and he has great hands and ball skills. So, a couple weaknesses. Um, explosiveness. He's not very bursty. He's not going to, you know, blow by people. Um, and like we mentioned, one season of production. But you start watching some some tape from that uh, that season he did play, and it's tough to get get a good read. I mean, he was playing with Olave, Garrett Wilson. Um, it's pretty easy to get open when you're playing against a college court defense's third quarterback cornerback. It is. It is. Now, one thing I will say: the game they did not play in the Rose Bowl. Um, the bowl game that year, uh, Olave and Wilson both sat out as they were preparing for the draft. JSN went for over 300 yards receiving. He fumbled twice too, right? He did. His teammate recovered one of them for him, but he did lose one of he them. He did lose one. Yes, he did. But I don't know. I see a, See, this is my concern, though. So, I see a guy who... who sorry, I'll let you yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I see a guy who has a very safe floor not necessarily I agree with that not necessarily the highest of ceilings i don't know if i see this guy as a 20 point per game scorer in fantasy going forward like after he's, but i could see him being in that 15 point per range for the next eight years yeah, i'm glad you said that at the end too the guys are reminding me of something i wanted to say that i forgot to write down here in my notes when i was looking so i agree with you about the floor he's got a safe floor as a uh, as a wide receiver in the NFL, here's my so my projection for him is more of a I think his role is better suited as a one B as a Devonte Smith to the AJ Brown okay. and not necessarily an AJ Brown role. But my my problem is I think that's his ceiling. Like his ceiling is the Devonta Smith one B role in an offense. I that's fair. I didn't see special i didn't see a lot of wow when i was watching so like and again we we don't necessarily have all 22 film of all the plays and everything so we're not seeing everything as in detail as we could be but i didn't see a whole lot where like i was blown away by what i was seeing so i will say that when i was watching him he is a good route runner he does make moves throughout the route as he's doing it to try to move the defender he's got you know the shoulder shimmy um, he's got multiple moves to get off the line of scrimmage as well. He does the stutter step. He does that shoulder shimmy at the start of the line as well. He gets, you know, he's really good at making the defender essentially turn their hips and try to co- and commit to one way and then spinning them around. So I, I, I do agree with with that. I felt that I didn't see it as consistently. I, I saw it more consistently than I saw it with the, uh, the other wide receivers that we're going to talk about. And uh, definitely a lot more consistent than we saw it when uh, we were looking at Quentin Johnson. Um, but 
with him. It's just one of those things. The games I watch. So I watched Notre Dame when he played in 2022, and literally, like my note is just nothing special. Like okay, like he he was out there. He did his job. He didn't do much after it. Um, 2021 against Penn State when I watched, one of those things I wrote down, my, my main takeaway is he wasn't getting much after the catch, essentially. It's one of those things where he's catching it and then he's kind of going down. He's not... I felt like he didn't... He had separation to make the catch, but he didn't have enough separation to really do anything with it after the fact. And then I watched, like you said, the Rose Bowl game where he ha- obviously had the big stats and the big numbers and all that. He did have those two fumbles, that we, as we mentioned. And then the Oregon game was the one where I really saw him with like the multiple get-offs and all that. So... My concern is that he looked really good in 2021 when he was benefiting from having Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson there. Then in 2022, I know he got hurt, but he did play. He got hurt in what the fourth game, I think. He did play I think he, or I third game. I had the post stats up. I don't think he played at all. No, he played because I have a game for. I saw him play. Uh, what's it called? One of the games that I watched was him playing against Notre Dame this year. He played at least three games. I just don't know if he got hurt in the third game, if he got hurt in the fourth game. He played three games this past season. Did he? He's looking this yeah, up He did play quick. three games, yeah. Five he, catches, so he got hurt yards. in the third one? Um, I, Doesn't I don't show know. It doesn't say, no. Yeah, okay, so he got hurt in the third game. So he played two games this season. In the two games he played, he didn't really do much. He Two catches for 13 yards, two catches for 33 yards, and then he played the third game where he got hurt. And so my concern is that he looked really good when he had, obviously, Olave and Wilson out there. And then, obviously, he looked good in the Rose Bowl in, like, the big primetime game. But that's, again, one of those things where I think – I feel that that has really swayed people is that game and oh, watching sure. it and seeing sure. it. Whereas, like, again, because I'm not watching throughout the season. I'm not riding the emotional high of, like, a bowl game or a championship. I'm just watching tape and seeing what's seeing. That's why I think I came away with less – with a less wow sort of factor because I'm not looking like, oh, man, look at all the points and yards and all he scored. And I watched just one of those things where I felt like he just kind of ran the route and didn't do a whole lot after the catch and didn't do necessarily a whole lot during the re- – like, again, I, this is one of those things where it's, it's hard because I feel like he – I feel like I do see him make some moves when he's doing the route, how successful they all are and how much it actually affects it because that's that's what concerns me. If he's making a move and he's getting the defender to bite on it at times – but then he's still not doing anything after the catch because he doesn't have enough space. It, it concerns me at the NFL level that he might not have enough separation, and it, I don't expect it to get better at the next level. You know what I mean? I don't think he's going to be a big yak guy. But he's definitely a consi- – I, I view him as a, poset- a possession receiver, essentially. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. So, And one of those things where he could – with his weight being a little, you know, he's 196, so he's not light or anything. He's not small, but one of the things I keep talking about because of the way he played in college with Wilson and Olave there, he played a lot in the slot, and that may be a role for him in the NFL. I feel like he could play on the outside, but it could be one of those things where, again, let's say you feel about, you know, maybe Devontae Smith or Jalen Waddle, and then next year they bring in somebody like a Tyree Kill or A.J. Brown is a little, who's, you know, bigger and a little bit better, and then you kind of get relegated to that secondary role. So that's my concern is I feel – that is at best, it, it, like at best, he's like you know he. I feel like he kind of follows the Devonte Smith pattern where he goes out his first season and he's the one and he has you know 900 yards but doesn't quite hit a thousand. And then maybe if the team brings in another wide receiver and his quarterback takes a step, then he can get to like over a thousand. But I, I feel that's the ceiling and not necessarily. But I feel his floor is still safe, like you said, where he's, you know, he's going to be fantasy relevant. He's definitely mm-hmm. the guy to be taken. I'm just, I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't see him ever really competing to be a top five wide receiver. And I think you know he he could be something like a Keenan Allen, where he's constantly finishing close to the top, like top ten, somewhere from like eight to twelve, but not really, you know. I think that's a, top a very five guy. a very fair comparison because I see a lot of Keenan Allen in his game. Okay, that's very fair. Spot on. All right. And then we'll move on to the next guy on that list. And this is where we talked about this earlier. This is where I have a little bit of pushback on some things. This is wide receiver Quentin Johnson out of TCU for the uh, Horned Frogs. It's the Horned Frogs, right? Yeah, TCU Horned Frogs. I don't know why I always guess myself when I have it written down. And then when I don't have anything written down, I'll say it confidently. Because it's like, I didn't write it down, so I'm sure about it. You know, like, I know it. I don't, I don't need to worry about it. And then I always mess it up. And then I write it down, and I second guess what I wrote down. But so, Quentin Johnson out of TCU. So, if you need a guy to be your number one typical wide receiver, the X wide receiver on, on the outside, this is the guy. Hey, he's got that, that frame. He's he's six two. He's six two, almost six three. Weighs two hundred and eight pounds. Ran a what is a, a controversial a controversial forty time. Uh, he is anywhere from a four four six to like a four five nine. Essentially, from what people recorded on there, I think is what they said. Uh, that's the huge range. The consensus that I seem to got from the official places that would list him or list you know the results was a 4.49. That was what was, tw- I, I believe I saw it in a tweet from Adam Schefter or somebody that that was the time that they were going with as the official time was a 4.49. So that's the time we are going to go with from his pro day. Uh, over a 40 inch vertical jump, 134 inches on the broad jump. Well, again, uh, those the 40 and a half was, I believe, top among the wide receivers. And then 134 was, you know, up there as one of the top five as well, if not the top one. I think one or two guys might have come in above him by like a half an inch so he's explosive he's fast he's got the size i'll start with the negatives because I, i'm essentially going to push back or do you want to i'll let you go through the pros and cons and i'll go into my whole little yeah just i just went over it briefly because we <clears throat> mentioned him on the on the uh on a previous episode yeah is the pros uh size speed combo um he fits that that frame and, and mold of your prototypical uh number one x wide receiver um, he's got an above-average catch radius. Um, you see that for some of the times he's got to reach his arms out in crazy places to catch a Max Duggan pass. Um, I'm going to lay out the negatives, and then you're going to give me your pushback on them um, because I know where this is going. Um, consensus, some of the negatives, uh, body catches. Um, he had a bit of a slow release. Um, he was affected by the press. Um, he's just average in and out of his breaks. Um, he doesn't use his frame enough. And he's not, and it goes along with not using his frame enough, he's not the best at contested catches, which you would expect him to be a bit better at because of how big he is. Okay. So let's... All right. So I will agree with that. I, I think he could play more physical and that he could... I do see him fight through contested catches at times. Uh, he doesn't have... <laughs> see, here's the problem. I don't think it's a lack of 
physicality on the contested catches that he's not winning it. Um, his quarterback's not a particularly good thrower of the football. So I, I I'm not I don't want to you know try to come down on Max Dugan or anything. But but his throws are not good. They're not pretty. It's not a tight spiral. The ball wobbles essentially. So that's you know when you're you know, have to go up for a contested catch, and then in addition to the ball being thrown wobbly and all, it's thrown behind you. Like, th- that was part of what I saw when I was watching, so I'll get more into that. I-, I will agree he doesn't play as physical at times from what I see at certain points going through uh, the catch. There were certain times I just felt like, you know, and it's hard. It's not, it's inconsistent, I guess, what I would say. It's not one particular thing. I feel like there are some times where you're like, yeah, I feel like he maybe probably could have fought a little bit harder for that contested catch, and sometimes, like, well, I feel like maybe he could have put a lick on that guy when he was running the ball, but then there's a lot of other times when you see and he is doing it, so it's one of those things where I I didn't feel like I saw it enough for me to be hugely concerned about it, but I did see it, so I'm not, like, blind to it and what's going on and what's happening with it. The things that I really want to push back had to do with the body catching and the the drop issues. Those are essentially those are the main things with him is that people don't like is the the drops and then that he body catches so, and they they group them together. So my pushback on that is I watched several of his games and and my issue was I literally got to the point where I was I I was screaming at Max Dugan in the Fiesta Bowl even when when he was having a good game I I I literally wrote down my note from that game was Dugan needs to lead him with the football this is a guy who has that elite speed and I can't tell you how many times I have to watch the tape and he has to stop to make this catch. Like the ball is not thrown in front of him. He li- and not like one of those things where he has to slow down and do a certain, no. He has to come to a stop in the middle of his route to catch the ball. And when you have to do that and the ball is right on your body, why are you going to stand there and then just fully extend and be standing there with your arms fully extended for the ball to come at you? You know what I mean? It's one of those things where you say that, like, oh, it's a body catch, and it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, how much more effective would it have been if he had stretched his arm out and caught it there? Like, I just don't know how much of a difference it would have made on a lot of the times when I see him do the body catches. Anytime I felt that Dugan actually led him and threw the ball in front of him and gave him a chance to catch it with his hands and keep running, he did it. And I, so that's where I wasn't concerned about it. And then again, if you have to stop in the middle of your route to try to catch the ball... You're letting the defender catch up, and the defender has momentum on his side now as he's coming up to make a play on the ball on you, and you have to try to pick your speed back up. So my concern is that between the the throw, the football being wobbly when it's thrown, the football being thrown essentially on him or behind him instead of leading him, all kind of makes the contested catch and the drop thing... Uh, it 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 lessens the worry about it for me because I was like, that is a situation where I can see, yeah, why... I would expect somebody who has that happen to him a lot, see a lot more of his contested catches not go his way because he's not being, it's not being put in that box area, you know, the the tight window for him to catch it where the defender can't get him. He's always having to stop and the defender is able to come up and get an arm on him. And that's what I mean. I always see the defender manage to come up and get that arm in there at the last second to get the ball away. And it's not because he doesn't have the speed or the burst to get away from him. He had to stop to catch the football. So... That's my big pushback against it. Is that I just I feel that the quarterback play was a significant factor in it. So inclu- if you include the postseason last year, right? It, this wasn't an issue in the first two seasons because he didn't really get a whole lot of volume there. But this last year, where he actually did get some volume, if you include the postseason, he has 11.8 percent drop rate. Right? Zay Flowers has a 10.3 percent drop rate, and Zay Flowers does not have the same build as Quentin Johnson. I don't believe that he's at he's still he's fast and explosive, but 
I don't know that he's as explosive as Guy and not as spectacular after the catch as Quentin Johnson. That was the other thing I forgot to mention. Yeah, not as ex- not nowhere near as explosive as Quentin Johnson. So Quentin Johnson is a bigger build, faster, more explosive, and they both have drop concerns. But I'll never hear it talked about with Zay Flowers. I don't hear it brought up and mentioned about Zay Flowers, who has a 10.3% drop rate over his career, who also suffering from poor quarterback play, which is probably contributing to his high drop rate as well. His quarterback doesn't necessarily throw a a clean ball there either. But that's where I feel like the, the... I feel like they're not balanced. Like, it's not the same weight for each player. Like, with Quentin Johnson, it's almost like this is disqualifying him from being able to be a first-round pick. You know what I mean? And people are essentially jumping Zay Flowers. Like, well, Zay Flowers is a first-round pick. That's why he's one of the guys invited to the draft this upcoming season is because he can be a first-round pick, and we're just going to ignore his drop rate and just focus on Quentin Johnson's. I I, I don't. You know what I mean? I, I, I guess it's the one-year production from Quentin Johnson out of there at TCU. But that I, I just felt strongly that the, the biggest thing I liked about Quentin Johnson, this is where I think he has the highest ceiling, is he can be the one. And once the ball is in his hands, he is by far yeah, the best of any receiver in this class. He's very good. Yeah, he's got plenty of moves to make the defenders miss. He, does, he will occasionally put a lick on the guys and go through them. He's got... I mean, if you get the ball in his hands, you, you know he's he's the yak. He's getting that yak for you, and he's taking that ball. So that when I was talking about earlier, when I saw these other guys, I didn't have wow plays. There was plenty of times where I was watching Quentin Johnson and I saw him catch the ball, and then what after I was like, oh wow, look what he did there. You know what I mean? So that's where the wow factor came. I was like, oh wow, what he did. So he does need to be. Uh, what I will agree is he does need to be more consistent on his route running. He's uh, he has a move. He has a couple of moves that he does use occasionally, but not anywhere near consistent. Sometimes he just wins purely off of athleticism. That would be more of my main concern. Is he needs to be, become a more refined route runner because you can't win off pure athleticism at the NFL level all or most or even most of the time. So he would need to develop that. And then obviously we do need to see the you know the the drops sort of go away and not be an issue. But again, even one of those things where I think it was like he had. Uh, from what I read or what I remember reading, I felt like he had a drop at the pro day kind of towards the end there. And then I heard somebody talk about it recently and made it seem like, you know, they kept saying, you know, you hear he's dropping balls at the pro day. And, like, they made it seem like it was a consistent thing throughout his pro day. And I was like, I remember reading. I think it was, like, the thing where, he, like, he dropped one of, like, the deep ball things and then came out and caught, like, the next two or whatever. And, I, like, I just feel like it's something that's really being focused on and hammered on and then not so not at all so much with Zay Flowers and that's I so that's part of what gets me going about it as well. That being said, I don't particularly like a lot of the landing spots for wide receivers in the first round, especially in that twenty to twenty eight range where Quentin Johnson is supposed to is supposed to be going. I don't know how much I like, you know, the Ravens, the Giants as a landing spot for him. I think my favorite spots to go in the first round towards the end there would be the Chargers and the Chiefs and you know, he could go to the Chiefs. You know, Keenan Allen's getting older. Mike Williams isn't young himself. I think he's getting close to 30 himself. And then, the you know, Josh Palmer and Jalen Guyton haven't really worked out, so they could be drafting some guy to become the number one there. And that would be nice because then you could put him there and he could be behind Keenan Allen and Mike Williams. He doesn't need to be the focus. So right. his mistakes aren't as amplified if something happens and you give him a little bit of time to develop. So that's honestly like my ideal landing spot for him where I kind of think I would feel the best about him and that would if he went there and then Charbonnet goes to like New England that would be something where it would probably push 
Quinton Johnson uh, up into ahead of him. But okay. again, this is this is the thing where at the moment it's pretty certain that it's going to be Charbonnet. Charbonnet would have to land somewhere bad, and then either Johnson or JSN would have to land somewhere good for me to want to take them. Because again, the thing is with the thing is with Johnson, if the, if if the drops really are all on him and it's his issue and he won't play physical and he won't and his hands don't get any better, his floor he's yes. going to fall out. Of, he's not, he, he'll be off the team that drafts him by before his, the end of his rookie contract. The floor on Addison is much safer. I feel like because I feel like the expectation will be more of a wide receiver two or one B role, and he won't necessarily have the you know what I mean. I, I don't know that he'll have. He's going to go first to be the first wide receiver taken, but I don't know that people will be as disappointed with him where he go. I don't know. Yeah, I, was... I feel like I lost what I was trying to say there. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I, I I feel like if he settles into a role as a guy who just kind of keeps getting 1,000 yards each year but isn't necessarily getting, you know, 1,200 or 1,400 or anything like that or isn't leading, you know, doesn't come out and have a Garrett Wilson or Chris Olave season. Like, I don't feel like people will look at that and be like, oh, you know, he's a bust or he's terrible or anything. I feel like this draft class has been talked down a bit, so, like, the expectations aren't as high, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. Let's uh, let's keep it all moving here. Yeah. We're already upwards to 50 minutes. Okay, we'll go through these quick then. Um, We've got Jordan Addison out of USC, sort of the USC Trojans. So here's what I wrote down. Um, I do not get it. I don't get it. Uh, I'll just go through my thing did, real quick. So, uh, I, let me ask, what games did you watch? Was it this you, year or last year? Uh, I believe a mix of both. So, I watched UCLA and Utah, and then I watched them against Rice. So, those were this year. Okay, because and if you ask me, he wasn't as impressive this year at, at USC. One, because I think of expectations. But two, he, he played he played with a pro the year before with, with Kenny Pickett and was, was very good. But I think this year at USC, there was a lot of hype and expectations with him transferring over. USC just hired Lincoln Riley and their high-flying offense, and they got Caleb Williams transferred over too. And there was sky-high expectations. Um, that being said, um, just kind of laying a little background there. You can continue. I got you. Okay, so – Again, one of those things where I, I don't I, I I didn't look at his production, so like I wasn't looking at like his overall gotcha. stats. So I understand that's a thing that is obviously weighted when you're doing rookies and you're comparing them and all that. But like again, that's more of like scouting NFL wise and grouping them. And once you know, once the scouts do that and you get the top guy, like that's why he's one of the guys at the top is because of his production and things like that. So I, when we're looking at these guys at the top, I don't necessarily go through and compare their production yeah, or anything yeah, no, like no, that. Just... And because I don't follow the seasons, I didn't have like any sort of expectations for him like that. I think. Going in to watch the tape, I had expectations because of the way I hear everybody talking about him in the community, and that's what I mean. I watched it. It was one of those things where it's like I don't, I don't see anything special when I was watching it. And again, probably because I watched this year, but I was like, I'm watching it. So my notes were UCLA wrote down solid, not spectacular. Like again, one of those things where I felt like he just kind of, he was out there, he was running around, so the ball was thrown to him, he caught it, would get tackled, not much after, he didn't really do much after the catch, wasn't a liability. But, like, I didn't see a whole lot as far as when he was running routes as far as, like, you know, moving defenders or making a miss or anything like that. 
Uh, I managed to watch the two games that he had drops in this season because he's credited with two drops on the season. I managed to watch the two games where he had a drop in them. So that was one of my notes from Utah. He had a drop. I felt like a lot of I feel like a lot of his catches came in the zone. Like he just finds a soft spot in the zone, gets the ball thrown to him, catches it, and kind of that's it. Like I didn't see a whole lot after the catch that made me go wow. Like I felt a few times like you'll. It's again one of those things where it's not they don't have big plays or anything, but I don't know. They necessarily did anything on the big play. You know what I mean? They just kind of ran the route they were running. Their cornerback is, you know, like the third corner on the roster or just, you know, does something stupid like trips over his own feet or, you know, whatever. And they just kind of, you know, just through the course of running a route, just like as a normal person would, they ran the route. Their defender wasn't particularly good. They got open, caught the ball, and they were ahead of their defender and just, you know, took it for a big play. But, like, I didn't see a whole lot of making guys miss, running through guys or anything like that. His size is a concern, which is probably why he's not running through guys. Arizona State, he had a drop as well when I saw that. The Rice game, I didn't even – I didn't see enough to write a note down to have feel one way or the other. It's just I felt like every time I turned on one of these games, I just felt underwhelmed from what I saw from Jordan Addison. You add in the size concerns, and I feel worse about him than I did about uh, – uh, what's it called? Jackson Smith and Jigba. And because I actually saw things from Jackson Smith and Jigba, I saw the moves and all during route running that made me feel good about him as a receiver at the next level. And again, I feel like he's it. Addison is a guy where I, I just again I, I feel like I don't I feel like he could be overhyped. I feel like he could be drafted and the expectations like just kind of like what you said would happen this last year. We could be drafted, we expected to do this, and then he fall. I I don't know if he's a guy who can fall into that wide receiver two role and everybody just kind of accepts it or like the fan base and like the team that drafts him is happy about it because he's probably going to go higher. Like that's the thing with Quentin Johnson sliding is one of the things. The more he slides, the the expectations get a little bit lower and lower and lower to where you're not really disappointed. But if you know when Jackson Smith and Jigby goes off first or Jordan Addison goes off the board first as like a top fifteen guy. There's some expectations for a guy taken there. For sure, for sure. Could be a little more. I feel safer about uh, JSN making that than I do Jordan Addison. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't see Addison as more than a team's number two. I really don't. I, I... There you go. So, uh, and there's a lot of guys like that in this uh, draft, uh, including this next guy, Jalen Hyatt, who is out of Tennessee. Tennessee. So. Jalen Hyatt is – I didn't see any sort of moves as far as when the route running goes. He just purely using his speed to run yeah. past people and get open. There's not a whole lot of tape you can watch. I did. I mean, I watched him against Alabama. I literally wrote down just one with speed. Watched him against Kentucky. He He's always getting free releases. He's never facing he's press up the open. line. He, That's yeah. one of the, the, a lot of the um, scouting reports I looked at consensus-wise, like you said, speed, athleticism. The one thing I did saw that was interesting, um, he's an effective run blocker. Which is interesting, you know, to get you on the field. That's something to put you on the field. But um, like you mentioned, he was schemed for free releases. He didn't run a ton of routes. He had limited root tree. Um, he's not an overly big guy. Um, his frame uh, had some question marks. He's and, a little. Um, he's a little over six uh, six feet, but he's only one hundred and seventy six pounds. Yeah. So he's lean. And that's. So I guess that's kind of something that I'm taking away going through this now. Is I, I know people were talking about that they feel that Quentin Johnson's being pushed up the board because he has the prototypical size and, and all of a wide receiver, of a typical ex-wide receiver. I'm sitting here looking, it's like, I feel like Addison and Hyatt might be being pushed up the board just because they're six foot, and we don't have a lot of other wide receivers that are six foot that had any sort of production 
or like this level of production at the college level when you're looking at all those guys up there when you're looking at Jordan Addison and Jalen Hyatt and Zay Flowers and Marvin Mims and uh, Josh Downs and all these guys who are just barely mm-hmm. six foot or, or shorter you know 5'11 5'9 and all that and I feel like the, like literally Addison Hyatt might be getting pushed up just because they are hitting the height threshold and Hyatt just to me seems like a guy who's going to be better at real life football than he is for fantasy football. I could totally see that. Where I think people keep trying to see him maybe like a Deshaun Jackson type role where he's going to be a big explosion. I was like, I think sometimes people might forget how Deshaun Jackson was from a fantasy standpoint. You were getting 25 points or you were getting three points from Deshaun Jackson. And that was essentially how it was going to work. Like there was no real in between. He was very up and down and inconsistent. So. He's gonna fall further for me in like a fa- in a rookie fantasy draft than I think the consensus is gonna have him taken. You, despite like the investment from from an NFL team, he's getting, we're at the point where there might only be one or two wide receivers actually taken in, in the, the first, first round, round, and it's gonna be JSN and then maybe one of these other guys, depending on you know the team that wants to take them and all that. So uh, it, it'll be interesting where these go because you also have these tight ends that are really good. So it's a matter of, once you get to the second round. When do you start taking the best tight end over the wide receivers that are left? And, you know, how many wide receivers go before the first tight end goes? It'll be an interesting thing to see. But I think we're both kind of on the same page there with Jalen Hyde. He's got a lot of physical ability as far as speed and burst and all that, but he's a very raw route runner. Yeah, we didn't like, see There's not a whole lot of... Technically, like technica, uh, technically, technical-wise, I can't speak for right now for whatever reason. It's fine. Technical-wise, he has room to improve. But I think he's a le- I think I could very see him being kind of viewed kind of like Gabe Davis. He's not as big as Gabe Davis, but Gabe Davis was that big play guy when he came out his first season. And he was kind of hit or miss. He had a couple big plays, and we were all expecting a little bit more. And the next season um, comes and just didn't take the step that you were all kind of expecting. That's kind of the way I could see his thing, his career going. Okay, yeah, that's fair. And then we have Zay Flowers, who I had mentioned a little bit earlier, and we talked about on another podcast. Small. Uh, 5'9", 182. He's fast. He's quick. He's a good route runner. He's good with, he's uh, good with the ball in his hands, too. Yeah, he plays physical. He plays physical. The problem is he's you know he's 5'9 and 182, so mm. there's only so much his physical can do. Drop issues, too, like we mentioned. Exactly. The 10.3% drop rate. He got a lot of free releases. I mean... I mean, I, I want, again, just one of those things where I, I don't like to, it's, it's not really fair to do it to guys, one of those things where it's just, there. there's a six, the success rate for guys 5'9 and shorter at the wide receiver position in the NFL is very small, and the success rate for fantasy relevance is a lot smaller, so this is a guy who I think, again, fantasy-wise, ceiling is a low-end wide receiver, yeah. too. The one, the one thing I will give him, he was basically the only weapon on Boston College. So he he was seeing double coverages. He was the top guy that the other that the opposing defenses were game planning against and he was still able to be productive. I know it's a different animal college going to the NFL. I'm not saying you bet on the smaller guy to do it, but if there was one of these guys out of there that that could I he's the guy to take the bet on. Yeah, okay. I would say. I you know, I, he he you know, he got that dog in him, they're saying. Yeah. You know, you see when you watch him play, he plays hard, he fights. Um, I was seeing a, um, I was, was watching, it was an interview. Um, Steve Smith is is very high on um, 
Zay Flowers, another small. He was a small wide receiver himself, and he said he sees a lot of himself in Zay Flowers. Yeah. And I think part of what happens sometimes is, I, I again, I just always want to try to remind people and just reiterate that this is I'm scouting from a fantasy football aspect, yes. not an NFL aspect. Mm-hmm. So the amount that these players can contribute to their team as an NFL player is much different than what I'm thinking for them contributing to your fantasy team, which exactly. is why these guys are, you hear, you know, the way you hear us talk about it, you know, none of these guys sound particularly good or like you're very interested in fantasy. Like they can like, be very good football yeah, players. Yeah, they can be very good football players. They just may not be double-digit per game fantasy scorers. Right, like, like you know... Cole Beasley was a great football player. How many seasons was Cole, Be- Cole Beasley uh, a top 15 wide receiver throughout his career? You know, how about Jason Avant for the Eagles back in the day? Yeah. Phenomenal football player. Mr. Third Down. How, how fantasy relevant was he? He wasn't really. Exactly. So that's going to wrap up the wide receivers, and then we're going to tackle the tight end position. We talked about this a little bit earlier off podcast, so uh, we'll just go through this a little bit quicker because we're pressed up on time here. And, and tight end's a crapshoot. Yeah, it so... It always is. You never know, man. <clears throat> I'll just go through. So the three guys I watched, I, I was I didn't get to Luke. That's great. real quick, Luke real quick. Great. Just a quick offshoot. We we should um look into this and for a pod. Um, first round tight ends and the success rate in okay. the, in the NFL draft. There's only been a couple, and it's yeah, <laughs> it, it, it's kind of a. Uh, I took a quick glance at it. I saw like a um, <clears throat> little article talking about it, but I, I would like to do a lot more in depth and see it. First round tight end prospects are, are not good. Okay. All right. Well, you heard. Yeah. You know, there's there's your analysis as a whole. Uh, going through the just top- success rate over over overall. It, you, it's you're just as likely to hit a stud tight end in the NFL draft by taking one in the sixth or the seventh or the fourth or the third. Like there's no statistical correlation that says the high pick, like with other positions, like, you know, um, the top quarterbacks tend to become top or the top offensive linemen picks tend to be the top offensive, you know, like there's no correlation with the data at all there, there. It's just kind of a mismatch of the good tight ends come from anywhere. Gotcha. Like Hayden, just for example, Hayden Hurst was the first round tight end. Might have been, I think he was the most recent. And George Kittle was a six-round pick. O.J. Howard was taken pretty high. Was O.J. Howard round? was a first-round tight end. You know, Kelsey was like a third. Like, Gronkowski was a second. Like, Goddard uh, and the, Hawkinson seconds, I believe. Uh, T.J. Hawkinson was a first. No, he was a he, first. He was, he, was like okay. eighth, he was like eighth overall. So he's a successful yeah. one. He's won, but like Kyle, you got like Tony Gonzalez, T.J. Hawkinson, and like there's I would like just one say, other dude. Kyle, I don't think Kyle Pitts' lack of success is due to Kyle Pitts. We'll see. You, you know, last season was quite disappointing for Pitts. But I don't know if I can blame that on him <laughs> when your team throws could, the ball twelve that times trend a game. With... Could be starting to be bucked, you know. Uh, all right, so we'll just go through the. I'll go through the top three tight ends real quick, or not. I guess the three of the top guys at the tight end position. So the first guy was Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame, who, you know, up until not too long ago was seen as the tight end one in this class. This was another guy where I just watched it. I didn't get it. I didn't see the tight end one stuff. Uh, And honestly, like you said, I felt like he looked a little stiff when he was out there. He looked a little big and kind of lumbering, didn't do a whole lot for me. I didn't feel like he had too much as far as, you know, route running, like, his blocking, like, he needs work as a blocker. I feel like his blocking technique is just kind of be in the way. You know what I mean? I, I, I didn't see a whole lot to it. 
It wasn't particularly impressive. You're going to need to be that when you're a tight end. He's got good hands. He catches with his hands. He goes up and gets the ball. He fights through, you know, traffic when or he fights through when he's making a catch. But it just, you know, he it's weird. He fights through at the catch point as he's making the catch. I didn't feel like I saw a lot of physicality from him anywhere else in the game. I didn't see a whole lot of physicality blocking. I didn't see a whole lot of it afterwards when he's got the ball in his hands and he's running with the ball. So I just, that was kind of my main take, two takeaways. He needs work as a blocker. I didn't see a whole lot of physicality. And those are two big things when you're a tight end because that's kind of you know what you're going to do a majority of the time. It's very rare that you're a primary pass-catching tight end. And I didn't see a whole lot that necessarily separated him to be a primarily a pass-catching tight end other than the fact that he catches the ball with his hands. But so do the other top tight ends in this class. So that's my takeaway. I, I wrote for him. This is a guy that's going to need a few years to develop before he's ready to do anything for your for uh, an, an NFL team, let alone your fantasy team. I'm not seeing – I don't know that you'll see any return during his rookie contract is essentially where I was at with Michael Mayer as far as fantasy okay. relevance goes. That's, that's against consensus. Well, <laughs> I'm, you, you, I'm not – I don't. I'm I don't not saying it. you're wrong. I'm just, you know. I'm just, I, I I don't see. Uh, we're, we're talking was about a, what year four? <laughs> yeah, I was a little, um, little disappointed too when I saw I expected more uh, after uh, all the hype. Um, that was a surrounding mare. But he just seems like a guy who's probably going to be a good tight end in the NFL. I, I don't know how good he'll be for fantasy. Right, that's what I was going to say. I was like, you know, there are plenty of good tight ends in the NFL. We have what six, seven fantasy relevant tight ends at the mm-hmm. moment. I don't know. Like, I'm not going to sit here and put him in the same category as any of those guys. You know, you clearly take away the top guys at the position. He's not as good as Kelsey, Kittle, uh, who's, why am I drawing a blank on the other guy? Mark Andrews. Andrews, there you go. And then you got the next group of guys where it's like Hawkinson, Ertz. Pitts. Pitts, you know, and I was like, I'm not, I'm, uh, I'm not putting him in that group of guys either. And it's like, you know, so like, and I, just, you know, how different is he from, you know, any of the guys in the next group there that, you know. So that's my main concern with him. Dalton Kincaid, I felt differently about out of Utah. Yeah, it's a, he's my for t- the Utes. He's my tight end one. Yeah, I say that, but like I, I don't confidently rank tight ends because tight end is a crapshoot. Right. But he, he made me pick one. He's my tight end one. Yeah. So that's what I. Uh, that's what I came away with too. It's one of those things where I watched the tape of Michael Mayer and I, I came away there and I was like, do I have the bar set too high for tight ends? Is that why I feel underwhelmed with Michael Mayer compared to everything I heard? Then I saw Dalton Kincaid's tape and I was like, no, I don't have the bar set too high. This guy is clearing the bar that I had set. And I was like, and I had reset my bar and lowered it. And then he watched and was like, oh, I got to raise the bar again. And I was like, oh, he's still clearing the bar now that I put it back to where I had had it. So yeah, Kincaid's a beast, man. He, I mean, he's a good blocker. He's a good route runner. He's we talked about it earlier. He's one of those guys where he does he makes moves to move the defender and his, and get his them off. Footwork bounds. is very good. Uh, he's physical with the ball in his hands. He'll run into guys, drop his shoulder, and give a lick on them. He catches with his hands. He's always he's one of guy. You always see him extending and plucking that ball out of the air. I was gonna say, I mean, like that's just kind of the notes that I have. Just physical moves, uh, makes moves. Smart block, or uh, what's it called? I said smart blocking. I guess the criticism, the one criticism I can't wait taking with is he needs a little bit more as far as uh, blocking assignment recognition. Sometimes I feel like he blocked the wrong person or he he didn't know who to block and Mm -hmm. like he ends up standing there 
staring at air, you know yeah. what I mean? So a little bit of improvement on that, but that's the, coachable. Like said, my tight end won. That is yeah. coachable. Then the next tight end, the last tight end we'll talk about, and the last player will be Darnell, or maybe we could mention Luke Musgrave if you want. Hey, might as well, you know. Darnell Washington for the Georgia Bulldogs. Another guy, when I watched him and I compared him to Mary, his tape was just clearly better. Dude, wasn't as good at Kincaid's, but... Like a legitimate, like, specimen. Yep. Like, if you went into the lab and said, create me an elite tight end prospect, he's what you would get. I mean, dude, he's he's what? Six seven, two hundred and seventy pounds, and he runs a four six. Are you kidding me? Yeah. So that's, uh, yeah. So that was something too that I had noticed. So when I watched, I watched Michael Mayer, and I looked, or when I saw Michael Mayer, I was like, I'm like, this dude looks like he's like one step away from being an offensive lineman almost. When I watched right. him, oh, then right. I saw Dalton Kincaid, and I was like, he looks like a very big wide receiver, and then I saw. Darnell Washington, I was like, he's the right... He's, he's the tight end. He, he's That's the tight, tight end. end. He's the in-between the two. Yep. He's what you're looking for there. Yeah, he's not He's not browned, and he's not skinny. He's, I was like, he's, he's, he's the solid build. Legitimately he's, a walking mismatch. So, I mean, I'm watching him. I, I just put... You know, I watched him against Mississippi State. I put, you know, he had above average play. So, like, not just the stuff earlier I saw where, like, people are just kind of running and going through and catching the balls. I felt like he was constantly doing stuff where he was contributing to plus yardage on the play as opposed to just being a participant in the play. Mm-hmm. Uh, Missouri, I thought, was a better game. He played a little bit stronger in that one. And then the uh, LSU against LSU in the SEC championship. But just again, I wrote, it's one of those things where he's an active contributor. Like, he is... He's not just a part of an offense where he's just, you know, like I threw the ball to him, he caught the ball, and he went down or just kind of did whatever. He's actively contributing. He's, I felt like I'm always seeing him try to get involved with blocks and try to, you know, push the pile when a receiver or running back or a quarterback or whatever gets jammed up. So just came away very impressed with Darnell Washington. Yeah, I, I like him. Um, he does have some stuff to work on, though. He's a bit stiff. Um, footwork can use some improvement and the, um, the route running. Um, to, uh, that's, that's all the, the consensus among the yeah. uh, scouting reports. Yeah. So for Dalton Kincaid, Dalton Kincaid was a guy I wrote, this guy could have year two or three impact. You know what I mean? I felt like he has a little bit of a quicker development. He doesn't have too much to work on. I felt like a guy like, you know, maybe towards the end of his rookie year, he starts to show himself as a, you know, wide receiver, like, you know, a, a fantasy asset. And then, is you know, year two or three is where he really starts to actually be a useful asset. Darnell Washington... Probably could be year two, but feeling more of a year three kind of thing, maybe year three to four. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't be surprised. He's going to see the field this year for sure. I don't know how relevant he'll be for fantasy. That's the thing. He's going to be on the field. uh, My concern is not them seeing the field. It's, you know, they've also – I'm also hedging because – You've got to go to an offense that will use the tight end. There are some offenses that that don't don't, really use the tight end position too much. So that's why, I'm uh, depending on where he goes and how much they actually use that position, it's one of those things where, you know, he may not – he may be out there, he may not be used. But also, that's why I see the year three to four. Because it's one of those things where I don't think he'll be on a team too long before a team realizes, like, hey, we should probably get him more involved in the passing game. Should probably throw the ball to the six-foot-seven, 270-pound dude, huh? Yeah. So, and that might be the thing. Maybe, uh, you know, this season is one of those things where he starts breaking out and just becomes a reliable guy in, in the end zone and kind of has like a Robert Tunyon season where he just catches a few touchdowns and then, you know, the offense decides, well, like, hey, let's give this guy a little bit more opportunity mm-hmm. to do more than just catch touchdowns and maybe like he steps the forward. Old, uh, the old Jimmy Graham role, just catching touchdowns. 
And then the last guy is Luke Musgrave. Luke Musgrave, I don't know if we want to call him a consensus top guy, but he really jumped up after the combine. He tested really well. Ran a 4.6140 time. He's, uh, you know, he's uh, 6'5", 255 pounds. Ran a 4.61. He fits that mold of tight end, too, you know. Yeah. He's... He he was always one of those guys who was going to shoot up uh, from the combine because he had missed time. He was hurt. He missed a lot of 2021, and then he missed uh, a few games this past year too. Um, he really only had really one season of production. So durability is a concern. Yeah. But if he's if he's out there, if he can stay healthy and play, he was productive. Yeah. So I don't know if I view him necessarily at the same tier as Darnell Washington or Dalton Kincaid. But he's just another, again, we just wanted to kind of go through it real quick because he popped up after the combine because of the testing. And he's probably going to be one of the guys out there. We got a lot of good tight ends. I mean, there's Sam Laporta. There's there's two other guys whose name always come up in that area whose names are escaping me at this point. But there's a whole. Zach Koontz. There you go. And then uh, there's one other guy. Uh, it doesn't matter. We're not going to worry about it. But. <laughs> Those guys all kind of come up there. Luke Musgrave could be one of the you know he could be one of the top five tight ends taken in this draft. Could slip a little further, but he is somebody that you should keep a name on. He does have the athleticism and the profile to become a contributor to the tight end position. But again, when you're doing tight end in fantasy, it's going to take a little bit for those guys to develop and become relevant. And we'll take a look at how much that varies based off of draft round at some point in the future. That's going to be everything from us today. We want real to quick, go th- real quick. I found a um, before we wrap up very fastly. Okay. Since 2010, there have been 10 first round tight ends drafted. 2010, Jermaine Gresham. No. 2013, Tyler Eifert. Eh. Mm-hmm. 20. 20- yeah, not the return you're expecting from a first round. 2014, Eric Ebron. Yeah. Eh. Eh. 2017, David Njoku. He, I feel like he broke out last year. That was 2017? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so. Yep. 2017, Evan Ingram. Took a new team in six years. <sighs> or five years. Couldn't stay healthy. OJ Howard, 2017. <laughs> no. Hayden Hurst, 2018. Noah Fant, 2019. TJ Hawkinson, 2019. And then Pitts, 2021. So I think the bottom line is there was like three guys that were straight nose and then most of those guys were kind of eh, eh, as far mid, as like mid. But, but but like eh, as far as like being an NFL player and contributor to the team but when you're taking in the first round yeah I need I need more than just hey you're contributing to the team I need I need more so yeah that's uh doesn't bode well for early round tight ends, but I, at the same time, thing. that's why I want to dig in I don't a know little if, bit yeah, more. I, like, say, I don't know if it's descriptive where it's like just because the guys t- like are, are they being the overdrafted taking- because the you know they're whatever. Like, are they it, do? Does there any correlation with a higher first round pick? You know, are they inside the top ten then being more successful versus a later first round pick? And you know, something and to take a look so at. there are so many things. That's the problem when you're always trying to nail down where it's like, well, what are the factors that really? It was like, well, you know, it's really hard to put down on on paper and track for every person that gets drafted. It's really hard to track down. Hey, who was the head coach that year? And then who was the head coach their next year? Did they have the same head coach? Did they have the same offensive coordinator? Right. Were they put into a scheme that fits them? Did they have a good quarterback? Did they have any other, you know? options in the passing game to put any sort of pressure anywhere else 
So, you know, scheme, team, coaching, all mm-hmm. of that goes into whether or not these players are successful. And it's really hard to track that for every player over the put. Like, you know, I doubt if you go on there and put, yeah, like, oh. Did there's you- not a spreadsheet big enough. Yeah, there's not a spreadsheet that's <laughs> out there that's like, oh, this guy went to this scheme and this offense. And then in his third year when they changed offensive coordinators, this was the scheme he was in. It was a perfect scheme for him. It didn't work, you know. So there's so many things that you could see for guys that just aren't listed on paper as to why they don't succeed. But that's going to be everything from us today. Again, with the draft coming up, we just kind of wanted to go through some of the top guys at the at each skill position. And then we will do another podcast next week where it's not so much of a, a deep dive, but more of a, a tier list as to where guys should be grouped together for your rookie drafts. But until next time, I'm Ryan McNichols. Rich out. Have a great weekend.